So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello everyone and welcome back. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. We've got Toby, we've got Leo here to break down all that happened over the last week in rugby. Including, uh, I've got to say, it was an incredibly hard round to tip in Super Rugby. Um, I'm your host Archie and I'll be attempting to keep these two brothers of mine in line for the next hour or so. Best of luck with that. So we'll get into the latest news in just one second, but... First, um, kindly our producer has organised a little Who Am I quiz for you boys. Sure, Sure, mate, hit me. All right, Who Am I? Born in 1978, I first made my Super Rugby debut at 18 while still in high school in 1997. I played 104 games of Super Rugby and six... Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so they were... 1997, so 19 in high school. They were born in 1978. Yeah, so... Okay, sorry. 1997. So they were turning... Correct. Yeah, 19. Yeah, that's too old to be in high school. Okay, fine. He was born in... He was born in (laughs) October of 1998. So he was 18 in his final year. Probably Halfway. going to turn 19 later on in that year. We're not here to examine this guy's this high school well. diploma. So he's, a, he's a bit slow, <laughs> he's or a... he's on pathways. <laughs> We've established that. All right. But keep going. He's played 104 games of Super Rugby and 62 test games for his country. His last game for his country was in 2007, before leaving for the Northern Hemisphere. Brad Thorne. Uh, Toby. No, it wasn't you, Tobes. You got a guess? Leo's, or, <laughs> Leo's already Leo's already jumped in. Is he right? No. No, because did you say Super Rugby debut in 1997? Yeah. No, Leo's wrong. So that's one year. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought because he started in league. Do you have a guess or do you want some more clues? Um, you can... I was going to say Matthew Burke, but that's far too, he's too young for that. So keep going. All right, I'll, I'll let you guys have another chance because you guys obviously have no idea what's going on. But <laughs> I've won the Heineken Cup with Munster in 2008, but I also have a Super 12 title in 2003. Toby. Stop saying your name. Josh Smith. Josh Smith. <laughs> There's no buzzing in. Josh <laughs> uh, Smith, what am I talking about? <laughs> you guys. All right, we'll keep going. We'll keep Who going. Did he said George Smith. George. That's completely keep, wrong. keep giving me clues. I'll, I'll play this All right. I played the majority of my Super Rugby with the Blues. Okay, I've got a strong... First name Blues? starts with C? No. Okay. I was also known as a sprinter, holding a PB of 10.9 seconds for the 100 metres in high school. Joe Rokothoko. No, I was known for a trademark mop of curly hair on the top of my head. Doug Hallett. Doug Hallett. Yeah, there we go. 
I currently hold a Super Rugby record, recently tied with Israel Folau at 59 tries. Doug Howlett. You boys are a bit poor there. Awesome. I, I don't think you're that good there. Is he only 40? Yeah. 41. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I thought he was a lot older than that. Do you know what he else I found to... a really surprising in this? So he played for the Highlanders and the Hurricanes earlier in his sort of career. But do you know, in 1998, the Super Rugby in New Zealand had a draft system. So New Zealand teams could protect 24 of their own players. However, if you weren't in that group, other teams could call on you. So that way, he started off, got called into the Highlanders in high school and then wasn't in that protected team. So the Hurricanes took him the next year. And then similarly, he wasn't protected and then the Blues took him the next year and then they kept him. Interesting. Wow. So thinking of that, a way to spread out talent, a way to make sure that teams have ability to take some of those players from around different regions. Well, that's yeah, that's what they do in the AFL, mm. which is an interesting system. I think it's hard because you know obviously there's not as much coverage around it as say there would be in the a lot of the American sports, but it still does attract a lot of attention. So it's almost a, another piece of sport where you know you're drawing some interest into that so i don't know you could get some of the league guys in there and make a little australian super rugby draft be interesting to do that it would be so we'll get back into the news from this week and probably the biggest thing and we've alluded to it in previous weeks but the final decision has been reached and sansa have indicated that the sunwolves will be leaving super rugby uh, definitely after the 2020 season. Um, so they've got a season and two thirds left and they don't really have a future beyond that confirmed as of yet. Uh, Japanese rugby union have pulled their funding and it looks like partly due to that, partly due to some other sort of interest from Sansa wanting to sort of push them out of the competition. It feels like a real, like it's obviously another change to super rugby. It feels like a real letdown that, Again, we get to a team, we, we've invested effort, invested time, and you get a team like the Sunwolves who are finally hitting their straps, challenging other teams. Admittedly, the model hasn't brought a lot of Japanese players up through into that strong team. Like it is a lot of international players with some Japanese heritage going and playing. That's not quite what it, its intention, original intention, but more change for Super Rugby just feels uh, frustrating that we can't settle on a solid model and back it for a while. It's interesting. Tony Brown did an interview with Fox Sports uh, just recently a bit about it and talking a little bit about it. He seemed to sort of lay the blame more or less with the South Africans, even indicating that maybe there was a little bit of um, ill will from the South Africans, whether that's from their loss in the World Cup to Japan or whether it's from losing the next World Cup to um, Japan rather than South Africa getting it. But he felt almost like they were being targeted by South African rugby. Yeah, and that's what it's come down to, money. I think South Africa wouldn't, they weren't prepared to put in necessary money to keep the Sunwolves afloat. And then it basically fell on Australia and New Zealand. And in the end, I don't think they were willing to contribute either. And and so from there, the Sunwolves just have no money pouring in. And even though, like you say, they're starting to succeed a little bit, it's just... It comes down to the fact no one wants to pay for them to, to exist. Mm. Um, but the timing couldn't be worse, I think. And let's hope Rapid Rugby maybe can swoop in and, and keep this franchise afloat. 
Yeah, that that's one possible um, landing spot, isn't it? Because they they're sort of trying to draw the Pacific Ring nations together um, for for the Sunwolves brand, which is now established. It actually gets a really good turnout in in Tokyo. Um, to to just disappear would, would be disappointing. But I guess that point of view that these Australian, New Zealand, and particularly South African teams, when they host the Sunwolves, they don't get good attendance because people aren't interested in seeing that game because I don't think it's going to be competitive. So mm-hmm. they've put it off for that reason. And, and, yeah, terrible timing, like you said, before the World Cup. Yeah, as well as for these for these players that are going to have to play out the rest of the season. And they're going to have real trouble if they do play next season contracting players to a club that's got a limited lifespan and who's going to want to come play for a club that potentially has one year and then it's going to disappear. So I think they're going to end up falling off even more, I guess, over the next 12 months. Yeah, and it's a bit sad as whether they, they drop out next year and you you just try to establish that new model a bit earlier. The problem is, I don't know, with broadcast rights, whether that'll be feasible or not. But, yeah, we're only going to have them for another year and a half and, and who knows after that. Hmm. On the plus side, my Super 14 Waratahs jersey is going to be correct again. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully, hopefully it's going to stay that way for a little while. We're not going to keep chopping and changing because you would, you'd hate to see the the Haguaros go out or something like that, and it dropped to thirteen, and then yeah, you can't see it going below that, I don't think. But it's it's not great at the moment. They need to be expanding in the right areas, and at the moment they can't make it work. Yeah, definitely unfortunate. And I think that Haguaros would definitely be feeling a bit hot under the collar hearing this news. Um, luckily, they've maintained a bit more sort of success making, obviously, playoffs last year. Uh, and hopefully that those results would help them, and uh, as well as their location being slightly closer to South Africa than Japan was as well. Seems like location is, plays a big part in this. But let's get on to better news, and we'll go into our players of the round. And we'll start off, Toby, who was your player of the round for this week? Um, I've just been more and more impressed with Samu Karevi, so I want to give him a shout-out. I think he's taking a lot more, I guess, control of the game on the field, both talking in defence and offence, and yeah. even his kicking is, is coming into play a little bit more now, and I think he's just a more polished player, more well-rounded player. He's cut out a lot of those errors in his game, been really impressed with some of the offloads, and then, you know, utmost, I think for the strength of his game is his running game. And he, I think, ran for 110 metres in this one. Plenty of good carries. Um, and I'm really liking him at, at 12 there. So I hope that can be persisted with. Um, I think having a centre pairing with Chris Fawai Saltiar, I think that's actually working really well for them. And that was something that was working last season. And the fact they'd had to deal with Jordan Pate going out, now seeing him a little bit more comfortable back in that combination with Chris, I think, um, you know what, I think that's something that they should stick with. Um, and I think he can nail down a Wallabies 12 jersey with Curly Beal out of form. And definitely the captaincy, he's like he seems to embrace that. It hasn't, it hasn't taken him off his game. You see some guys fall away as an individual when they take on the captaincy. I think we talked about Adam Coleman last year, we mm. thought became less abrasive and had less impact in each game because he was perhaps more focused on the role of the captain. But some who's uses motivation and he just strong carries, as you said, the kicking game's developing, good combinations developing, 
supporting the j- junior players around him, even though he himself is, what, 25? 23, 24, maybe. 24? Yeah. yeah, he's not old at all. So, yeah, no, good pick. He's very deserving this week. And I just like that he he takes the time to shout out to fans. Like, you can tell he really cares about Queensland Reds as a club and the way they're developing, and he's he's desperate for them to succeed. And that really aligns with what Brad Thorne's trying to do. So a guy that perhaps it wouldn't be your classic pick for captain, but I think he's really grown into that, that role really well. Definitely. He's actually 25 now, guys, but definitely still young and he's got a lot of rugby ahead of him. Uh, whether that is for Queensland, though, he is still on that one-year contract at the moment, so a little bit of speculation about his future up there. Mm. That's the issue at the moment. I think London Irish are on a bit of a, a run with recruiting these guys, and he has been. Um, there have have been some rumours that he may head over there as well. So hopefully he doesn't do that. But you can see maybe a sabbatical for a year or two over there, and he might come back for the next World Cup. Leo, who did you see this weekend? So I'm I'm picking an obvious one, but I think he deserves the recognition this week is Israel Folau. Uh, he in, in the moments when the Waratahs were really on and attacking strongly and he, and he was getting opportunities, I think he made the most of all of them this week. Uh, he stood up as, as fullback as well at times along with the rest of the blue wall defence. And as we discussed earlier, he's just matched Doug Howlett's try-scoring record for Super Rugby, 59 tries, still young, still going strong. He's absolutely going to continue building on that. Um and we finally saw him used in the sort of way we, we've talked about, which is set yourself up, put a kick in and around the try line, and just put it up there for him and, and Newsom obviously assisted with, with this weekend. Just put it up there, and you're getting a, probably a 50-50 chance of a try. It's clearly his, his strongest weapon in attack rather than just floating it out to him in part of a set-piece play. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he got that try and also setting up um, Cam Clark's try earlier in the game as well with a take and then an offload for him as well. Um, did you see Scotty Robinson's um, quote about Israel Folau on the weekend? He was saying that he's he's should be working for NASA. He's that good in the air. <laughs> I can understand it. And, and I should, yeah, look, Izzy, the one thing I had off him was he's a bit of a ball hog. He seems to run up. And, and not use his outside man, tries to draw the players and, and think he can break through. Seeing him do that offload to Cam Clark, he, he left it fairly late, but he, he still pulled it off. And, and that's the kind of self uh, selfless, unselfish play which I would like to see more of. So all, all signs looking good for Israel Folau. Yeah, it definitely comes down to the offloads, I think. We've seen maybe towards the end of the Wallabies season last year as well that he was just throwing the ball away too much at the back of the hand on the wing there. So when he does it and when it goes to hand to another player, you can see how effective it is. But I just think he needs to to make sure he's doing that in the in the right plays and not, and not throwing the ball away. For myself, I've picked a... Well, it's a bit of a, a two-person one because I'm picking what I think is probably the halfback talent of the future uh, for the Wallabies. And the one that probably everyone's been talking about, Tate McDermott on the weekend, he's coming, he's sort of taken over that number nine spot from Moses Robbie after a few good performances off the bench where he, he more or less sparked them to come back against the Sunwolves uh, last week. And this week versus the Brumbies, he completely outplayed Joe Powell, I think, um, with really some really good sniping runs, a really good sort of ball-supporting 
runner, was on the inside whenever anyone made a break and really crisp service. And I want to pair him actually with someone that a lot of people may not have heard and it's someone I sort of picked up after watching the first game of the Rapid Rugby on Friday night and that's Isaac Fiennes who people may not have known but he's another young player, he's a 23-year-old, went over to the force last year after uh, Ryan Lauren's moved on from them and he's been backing up Ian Pryor for them but he's a, he's a Queenslander. Won the Player of the Year two years ago in the Queensland Premiership Cup in his first year playing there. A uh, little halfback as well, but incredible uh, attacking mindset from him. Definitely looking to snipe and some really good late balls to forwards going through the line, and he definitely helped the force overcome that World 15 on the weekend as well. Yeah, it seems like at the moment we have some pretty good talent around scrum half, um, which is really nice to see because for a while there we were solely relying on guys like Will Genier and Nick Phipps backing it up. So um, there's a lot more depth there. And I think there'll be definitely some competition coming through from these young guys like McDermott, like Sarovi, um, even, you know, from fringe players in rapid rugby. I'm not sure if they'd be eligible for the Wallabies. We haven't really had um, a lot of clarity around that. But, you know, he'll, he could get snapped up next year for Super Rugby if mm. he's playing well in rapid rugby. Exactly. All right, let's get back onto the bit of the recap from the weekend, guys. And where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Rapid Rugby or just jump into Super Rugby first? Maybe give Rapid Rugby a shout straight up, Arch. We'll change yeah. it up a little bit. Sure. Well, I mean, we saw this as the kickoff of this new showcase and it was the Western Force over in Perth, uh, a game a bit later for us on the East Coast, but on, on free-to-air, which was nice, on SBS versus the World 15. And sound like they did a fairly big spectacle out at that HBF Stadium. Lots of entertainment for everyone. And a pretty good crowd coming up to see the Western Force play a World 15 team coached by Robbie Deans. And we pretty much got an example of all the sort of rule changes in that. We got a power try from the World 15. We saw some of the uh, changes with Andrew Deegan taking on the 40-20 kick. I think it's called a 10-22 kick. But a kick from his own half to get into the 22 to get his own line out back. And we saw that it was fairly enterprising play. I'm not sure. What do you guys think? Do you think those rule changes made a massive difference to the way the game was played? I actually think we could go further. Uh, they did make a difference. I don't know how how much emphasis was on the power try, but it really, it really doesn't take that much uh, to make a, a player think, well, if we can turn a potential seven into a nine just by having a crack out of our 22, I think that's valuable. Um, they still did get bogged down a lot around the scrums and around lineouts. Like those set pieces weren't sort of uh, whipped along by the referee. Uh, so that that's something which I still felt we had the bit of the grind and the, and the slowdown um, that we see in normal rugby rules. But but definitely the the power try and and the the mentality that the guys brought there was there was a fair fair few uh, sections of play which just went on and on and on and both teams trying to build phases and and hold the ball which was good to see yeah Andrew Deegan I think he had a strong performance and some of these guys that didn't quite get their opportunities in the Super Rugby teams Deegan was at the Tars for quite a while and he was competing with Mac Mason. Um, for that backup spot to Foley. So it's good to see he's getting a bit more time out for a, a professional team like this. And you never know what this can build into, really. Um, if if this does take off into next year, some of these guys are really going to make a name for themselves, I think, around the world. You've got articles coming out today or yesterday in the Times over here in the UK 
Um, so there is a fair bit of coverage around this, and some people are comparing it to you know 2020 cricket for rugby. So yeah, there's a, there's quite a bit of interest around these these rule changes and the kind of impact they can make on the game and speeding the game up and you know making it a little more exciting for the younger viewers. Yeah, I do believe the Northern Hemisphere were looking at that sort of uh, 10-22 kicking option to bring in potentially into more widely into circulation because they thought that might sort of improve sort of games a little bit more. It, it's got to because if you, if you have to work much harder to defend your sidelines, you're going to see wingers dropping back further or, or potentially one staying up with the fullback spread off across to one side to cover a sideline, more space in the backfield, which means you can put things like chips over the top or line breaks get you more gains um that that's a really i think more so than what the attacking team can get out of the successful 10 22 kick i think it's actually their options as teams try and defend the potential for that which will open up the space a lot more mm. well and we have another game coming up this friday again at hbf and it'll be on free to air but that's against the first look we get at this South China Tigers team uh, coming to Perth and a few names that they've been announcing as some of their marquee players. Uh, probably not many names well known to us down here, down under, but people like Tom Vandell, who made a name for himself in the English Premier um, sort of rugby world, scoring many tries down there and he'll be starting on the wing for them. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what they bring with this South China team. Yeah, and you'd have to think that Again, because the force has spent so much time together as a team, I think they've probably got, at least for this year, quite a quite an advantage over these other teams. But again, it's good to see a new team come in. You see the branding, you get to know the jersey. It's um, you know, it's something that's needed to push forward with this competition. I think if we hadn't seen many games this year, it would have been a mistake. So having a showcase series was definitely the right way to go. So let's move on and get into Super Rugby then, and we'll start with. The first Australian game, and that was the Waratahs taking on the Crusaders out at Sydney Cricket Ground on Saturday night. And this turf held up a little bit better for us, despite the sort of downpour going on in this game. And the Crusaders, a bit lacklustre in this. They they got hit early by the Tars getting up early, and the Waratahs taking this away, 20 points to 12. The Crusaders team without Richie Moana, um, so so not, not the full strength, obviously, just in that aspect but they yeah they definitely didn't warm to this match particularly quickly uh you know they've had a lot on their minds they've they've got the the recent um Christchurch massacre that that's I'm sure been talked about and and even just around the team had the talk about the the club changing a name potentially a lot of distractions and and you'd think that they were probably uh feeling like there was a little bit of weight on their shoulders to come out and perform and and they certainly performed in a way which was, um, you know, like res- that you'd respect respect the effort that they put in. They certainly weren't lacking effort. They just looked like they were a bit uh, fatigued maybe. And maybe it was more of a mental fatigue than a physical fatigue and an emotional exhaustion from that. Um, the Tars didn't have to play well all 80 minutes, though. Do you reckon they – what do you reckon? The Tars maybe 70 to 80% of what they can do? Well, was it more like a testament to the Tars' attack or was it more the defence that they put on in this game? What was the biggest sort of takeaway, you reckon? I think keeping the Crusaders to 12 points and that last try didn't actually need to be leaked as well. So it could have been seven points. 
Um, so I think the blue wall is working. The Tars' defence is much improved. Um, and I think their attack was okay. They had a lot of handling errors as well, and I know the weather was bad, but um, I'm still not really taken by the Tars' attack yet. I don't think it's fully firing. But they did use that high kick, the, the bomb to Israel Folau, with good effect, and they took their opportunities. And, you know, a win against the Crusaders is important at any time, whether they're playing well or not. Mm, I actually checked up on this. The last time the Crusaders have been kept to that lower score, you have to go all the way back to 2016, the final round of that season versus the Hurricanes, uh, where they were held to 10 points um, just before the Hurricanes went on to win that whole competition. So it's been a long time since the Crusaders have been held to that. And even the fact that they missed that final conversion, which stopped them getting a bonus point for this game as well. Looking at the Waratahs though, do you think this performance redeemed someone like Bernard Foley, who's had a bit of a slow start to the season? Look, he's up to 997 points in Super Rugby. He's three away from 1,000, being about the sixth player to do that. Did this give you confidence back in him trying to take back that uh, Wallabies 10 when we get to test selection? I don't think this performance was like entirely redeeming, like it was promising to see that you know, they got a bit more attack going, but it was still sporadic and they still made errors that I wouldn't expect from Wallaby's starting candidates. Um, but I, I also think it's part of the style they're trying to embed in the Waratahs. They're, they're not getting through enough phases to to set up the opposition with flaws in their defensive structure and then to to go and exploit that. Like, they've... They've pulled off some set-piece stuff with Falau first phase. They're still kicking for territory regularly on the first phase, which I just find baffling. Like, there's no chase. They're just smashing it downfield, making sure it hits the ground. That seems to be the key part of that ploy. So, um, look, I don't think we're seeing the best of Bernard because I think they're trying to implement something that maybe doesn't suit him and, and the team isn't really executing that well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think... Look, if we're honest, Bernard Foley is out of form and Kirtley Beale's out of form. And we're so used to the Waratahs firing off the back of those two players and also the Wallabies. So when you have those two guys struggling a little bit, there's no doubt that I think the the attack overall will struggle. Um, but you've had other guys pick up the slack. I mean, notably, as we talked about earlier, Israel Folau in this game was was really he really brought himself into the game well and maybe that again speaks to the fact he's back at fullback, maybe he enjoys that more. He enjoys that role of running the ball back and some of the positional play. Um, I still wouldn't mind seeing Curly back at fifteen because when Carmichael came on, just really oh, lit it up. How good was Carmichael's um, like first run into the Crusaders defensive line? That's, Pretty much that's like origin. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. Ran into two ran into who was it? He ran into the hooker um, and one of the Matt replacement Matt and yeah, and yeah. one of the replacement, what, the flanker, and he, like, broke his shoulder yeah. in the first and Pretty much both of them contact. went down after Carmichael running into them. And then he was putting on massive hits after that on um, on players in the background as well in defence. Like, what an impact from the bench. I, I want to see him starting. I want to see you him starting. He's, like, great impact. You can't there. keep him off the bench. You can't do it. Yeah, like, no, I, they've got to make room for him. Either you put him at 13 and you leave Curtly at 12 and you say, okay, Adam Ashley Cooper, we've got to move you to the wing or we give you a bit of a rest. Because um, I think guys like Newsom are still standing up and I think some of these wingers, even Cam Clark, 
put in a pretty good performance mm. um, to come back into the side. So got Curtis Rona waiting in the wings as well after being rested, finally. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to fit all these guys in. But Carmichael, I think, has got to be a priority. And I want to see him get his hands on the ball more. I think the way he used to play last, or not last season, the season before for the Reds, but he was really controlling the back line and almost as a second playmaker, similar to what Curtly does. I think that was, was yeah, that, that's when he really sh- shone through as well. There's, I think that's, that's the crux of it. Like We're not seeing these guys getting the ball often enough and not they're not getting opportunities to use the natural talent and skills they've got. I did a bit of a stat keep on the weekend. The Waratahs had 45, about 45 different possessions and of all of those they surpassed they got to five or more phases six times out of 45 that's 13 percent so a lot of that was because they do these first phase set piece where they kick either to a player off a territory or they're coming off a scrum and they and they just roll it with the forwards initially so that's where jed's try came in they they rolled a phase second phase to jed and he just stormed through obviously that can't keep going because we've scored but you then compare that to the Crusaders, and they had an off game, but they were still playing their brand of rugby. They had 40 total possessions, and they went five or more 13 times. And this is in poor condition. So they've gone 33% of the time. They've looked to build more phases. And and that's that's the only situation. If you play three, four, five-plus phases, only then is the ball getting out wide to your players, like your, your outside centers, your fullbacks, your wingers, and, and into a bit of space. But where we seem to be disposing of the ball through a lot of kicking in early phases so often that when are we going to see the 13 take a couple of hit-ups? It's just there's no opportunity for them. I think that's that's true. And Hooper said after the game, you know, we won that game with 45% possession or 42% or whatever it was. Um, and he was proud of that effort because it showed that, look, they can win without the ball in hand. But as you're saying we do need to still be mindful to hang on to the ball at times when we want to attack and not just picking in away because I think the Crusaders, if you get them on a good day, they're going to run all over you if you did that to them um, in different circumstances. Yeah, and in wet weather, you're going to change your game plan as well. And, and the theory might have been keep it close, keep the ball in hand or kick it away and hope for a mistake. Now, if I'm deciding on what my team's strategy is, I'm not going to kick the ball to the Crusaders all day and hope they make errors and, and you know drop the ball, then we can get some possession down the field. I'm going to be keeping it tight with my forwards and, and drawing people in, short passes, lots of hit-ups, and then exploit the space when it's there. And I didn't see that in this attacking strategy, which is just, yeah, I just don't understand what the Waratahs are trying to do. Kick it to oh. Falau, sure, but all the rest of it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure they really know what they're doing. I think they're mixing it up a lot. It'll be interesting with the Sunwolves coming up. That's the perfect time to keep the ball in hand and, and really chance your arm a little bit at home. Yeah, and starve a team like the Sunwolves of possession because that's what they love. They love that um, getting broken play and coming back at them. But we'll talk about that game in a little bit. Let's go on to the Rebels game from the weekend. And this is the second game of their tour, facing the Sharks at Durban and... Haylett Petty was out through injury and apparently will miss up to six weeks uh, due to ligament damage in his foot. But they also rested Genia, Coleman, Corobiti. And so a bit of a different look in the Rebels and weren't able to keep up with the Sharks in this one. Uh, didn't score in the second half at all and lost 28-14. to 14. Yeah, this was a 
for mine, it was disappointing. Um, the Rebels could have been, I think, 2-0 and on this tour. Instead, they've given away a, a pretty good lead to the Lions last week. And now they've... I don't know what the decision-making was for this in terms of resting these guys and sending some of them home. Um, you'd think they probably would have planned that ahead of the trip rather than just mm. doing it sporadically. Well, Wessels came um, out and said this was a planned resting game, like throughout the season and they told people they were going to come and have their opportunity in this one but I still question whether that was the best option rather than like maybe resting people for the Lions game getting people over to South Africa and getting into the actual getting over the jet lag and then focusing on on this one to try and take one but maybe he's looking ahead for the Reds next week maybe he wants them fresh for that game more you have to think though dropping a game to the Lions that would make this Sharks game much more important. And I know but if you've already made the plans made, ahead of time. Yeah, yeah sure. Then... If it's been made a month or two ahead, sure. But <clears throat> they've got the Stormers at home in round nine. Wouldn't that have been a better time to rest some of these guys? I, I just don't get it when you go to South Korea, it's a tough place to win at any time that you go there. And you say, okay, well, Sharks are probably a lesser team than the Lions. We'll rest players against them. I feel like they could have come out, won this game. Because they were in it for a large mm. portion. Towards the end, they fell off again. But it just seems like an odd decision to me to, to rest guys on a tour to South Africa where you want to do as well as you can. Did Quaid still impress you in this game? I think he had to get more involved. Like the, the it, Things weren't going for them uh, the whole time, weren't going their way. But uh, he was around the back scrapping and, and you know clearing up loose possession and... and I think that was pretty valuable to them at the time. It's not it's not how you want to use Quaid, obviously. You shouldn't be just sweeping at the back, picking up all your, your passes that go to ground. But uh, he did a good job in that. But I think you're, you're missing the leadership and the, the forward drive from Genia. Michael Rue is serviceable, but he's not Genia. Um, and, you know, people like Luke Jones putting in a really good effort at line-out, stealing the ball, mm. winning a bit of extra possession. But they re- weren't really converting that into much value um we still had all the backs doing their usual bit um maddox looked really good seeking space from the deep um so so lots of potential there but just that kind of the man in the center someone like genia to really drive and align the forwards and keep them going uh as a unit uh i think that's probably what was missed and and i wouldn't expect quade to pick all of that up on his own i think he had to change what he what he normally does a bit for this one i think you could almost argue that quade was too involved like he had to be involved too much and that's almost detrimental to his game like when Genia takes control and then when he feels like momentum's right then he gives it to Quaid to sort of do something with on the front foot maybe that's how they work a bit better yeah I agree yeah they've said the commentators look he's underplaying his hand and that's what he needs to do instead of over asserting himself on a game and making too many decisions and forcing forcing plays Um, so maybe he does need someone like Will there to actually be able to balance his game out a little bit. So I'm going to say some names for you and tell me if you think these guys should be involved in the Wallabies this year or at least recall like people like we've already said Luke Jones, Tom English, Billy Meeks. Definitely a down game for Billy Meeks but also someone like Matt Phillip. Surely those are some top names that you're thinking need to be brought into Wallaby setup this year. I think Matt Phillip's a fringe fringe wallabies i think our, our second row stocks as long as they're all healthy we have like a clear probably four guys that that aren't going to be displaced 
And then we've also got a few of these sort of back rower slash second rowers who, if they can't define their role or their, their, not a specialty, but what do they bring that's that little bit of X factor that makes them different, that makes them stand out, um, they're sort of at risk of being overlooked. I think Luke Jones brings a lot to lineouts and and he seems to have real sort of second row blindside flexibility. But Matt Phillip, I think he's probably destined to miss out. Yeah, I'd have to agree, particularly with guys like Harry Hawkins, who Checker has big raps on. That's the type of position that Matt Phillip could take in the team. And a few years ago, he was starting, he was prominent in that squad. But when you got a fully fit, even Rob Simmons now, but Roy, Rory Arnold, um, you got Adam Coleman firing. Suddenly, that's three locks, and then there might be another two in the squad, if that. Um, and if you're promoting other guys like you know, Tui or Lucan, sorry, um, Harry Hawkins, Matt Phillip is really on the fringe. And you could see, I think, Jones potentially too small to play lock internationally. So then you're probably only looking at him for number six. And I'd much rather probably have guys like Dempsey playing six for the Wallabies or even Hannigan at the moment. Um, but you can see why Luke Jones is getting the attention of some of these pundits because he is playing well, he's playing consistently, and he's doing some of the really basic things well that we like to see with lineouts. His work rate is great. So he's got a he's got a lot of good things behind him, but I think he's still on the fringe. He's kind of he's in that similar spot in my mind where people like Adam Korchik and um, Tom us uh, from the Brumbies. Cusack, um, Cusack, Cusack. Cultural... That's right. All those blonde blindside blokes that all were kind of doing hard yards. But again, what the what three what B's the blonde out, blindside blokes. They can have a little club. That's it. That's the one. It's like Angus like, Scott Young. Yeah, but he like even he this year it seems maybe it's just his aggression that maybe makes him stand out. Luke Jones for me it's the set piece stuff. Tom yeah. Tom Cusack's doing a fair bit of ball running. He's still ranging around because he's, he's former sevens, isn't he? So that's kind of his what he brings. And Archie, you said this ages ago. You, in your back row, you want those five aspects to your game, and they all sort of do different combinations. So really, unfortunately, it's probably going to be the last person you pick the six in that back row. It's whether you're you're hung up on having the second row. You know, being, being able to be a genuine second row in a time of need, which affects how you build your bench, or you're just taking an out-and-out six who's line-outs and ball running. I don't know. I, I, they, none of them really stick out. I think it's just going to be which which guy fits the, the gap best. I don't think anyone's... I don't think they're going to make obvious room for one of those guys. <clears throat> yeah, I think we could field... Honestly, Australia could field a whole team of blindside flankers at the moment. We seem to have... <laughs> Too many guys playing that position. Not enough number eights. Guys are fringe second rowers and number six. It's, it's not great. There's guys like Ross Taylor Petty as well, who not big enough to play international lock, but not quite fast enough and abrasive enough to play six. Rebels still heavily penalised in this game as well, so discipline remains an issue for them. I mean, it's gone from 20 penalties last week versus the Lions down to 11. So improving, but they're only second um, to the Sunwolves in most penalties for the year. Yeah, it's just, on it's... seconds plus Rasta. That's oh, what I'm God. seeing. Yeah. yeah. Now the Tars Rasta are top Rasta of the Vegas. conference. After after these rounds now, the Rebels have gone from undefeated to dropping two games and now coming into a really difficult game against the Reds, flying back from South Africa. So their season has, has changed dramatically in a matter of two weeks. 
Is that not just speaking to the parity among all sort of teams this year, though? It seems like every team has the ability to beat any other team, especially in the Australian Conference, clearly we're seeing it, in the South African Conference, definitely. And the Chiefs now um, bringing a bit more confusion to the New Zealand Conference as well. Well, we're definitely seeing that. Well, yeah, we're seeing all of that, but also how much this year is different because of these rotations of players to make sure that they're not overworked pre-World Cup. I think that's playing a role as well. And and it's so unpredictable. Like, you don't know whether... Well, you, you might know they're not playing at all, but you don't know if these guys are going to get subbed on uh, late in the game. If they're on the bench, you don't know if they're coming off after just a half, like Nick Phipps did. Yeah. There's a lot of that. I agree. Which teams are trying to stick to, obviously, their pre-formed plans for managing the players and maybe results are swinging one way or another as a result. Yeah, I think it's impacting as well the Crusaders, Hurricanes and Highlanders the most. I think the Blues and Chiefs at the moment have less of that rotation. But again, if, if you have McKenzie coming out of the Chiefs side, it, it dramatically changes their their ability to win games. It's, it's hard to get away from. And the Australian teams, as we've seen, are doing it as well. But I think it's been less pronounced. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really... It's, it's an interesting factor because how much do you think it, people actually need to be arrested? Do you think that we're going too far with this? Or do you think that, you know, ultimately, because you have the rugby championship and then the World Cup, there is a lot of rugby to be played and it's, it's almost a necessary evil? The games are only 80 minutes and, well, thereabouts. And how many minutes of training do they do every week? Like how much yeah. fatigue and, and wear and tear on these guys comes from training? And you want well, training right. to be at you, a good level. You moderate training. And I, I, kind of think you, I kind of think that should be part of it too. Like when these guys aren't playing on a weekend, presumably they're not um, involved in the the full team run-throughs because they're not... Obviously, that's taking reps away from the guys who will be playing, but they're probably doing all the same weights and cardio and, and drills groups. So how much are they really saving just by avoiding a game? Well, is, is making Super Rugby very unpredictable and quite interesting, I think, this year? Definitely unpredictable, and we'll keep going with the Australian teams. And the Sunday afternoon derby, the Brumbies versus the Reds, was another one of these unpredictable ones. Uh, the Reds taking this one 36-14 and really dominating in all the places where the Brumbies seem to be the strongest. The Brumbies started out strong, had 27 phases at the start, but the, the Reds hold them out. And what, what was the biggest changes in this Reds team from previous weeks that allowed them to do this to the Brumbies? It was the kicking, I think. That's what it came down to, tactical kicking and kicking at the right times. They were also always abrasive, I think, the Reds, and they took on the Brumbies up front. The, the Brumbies' line-out was terrible, and the Reds' tactical kicking was excellent. So I think that kind of... That really did swing things in the Reds' favour heavily. Yeah, I agree. It, they definitely had a plan for the Brumbies' forward set-piece work. They destruct, destroyed their line-out, they negated their maul, and, and they didn't do anything particularly clever with them all. They just were really fierce and brought that physicality, had a couple of guys driving through the middle of them all, and they just they just showed like just strength and, and will to to contest. It was a pretty important part of the Brumbies game, and, and certainly if that part of their game isn't going well, that really shook their confidence, and they never really recovered from that. They, they looked really out of sorts without that weapon that, to fall back on. And actually, I think the Reds' backline was impressive the way it was operating. Like, we talked about the kicking, obviously, but 
some of the interplay between the backs. I think McDermott, as we've talked about, has been excellent. Karevi was excellent. He had the, a good injection from the wingers, Naivalu and Dalguna really coming into the game and running, taking big runs through the midfield. Um, and then Hamish Stewart controlling things from the back. So not much to complain about with that performance, I think, from the Reds. And um, it's good to see, actually, their, their backs firing a little bit and looking a bit more dangerous. And I noticed the difference this week with Hegarty in and, and Hamish Stewart, although I thought he played pretty well the previous week with Isaac Lucas there, there was definitely less load on Hamish Stewart. Uh, Hegarty was um, sort of holding that, that centre part of the, the back line together and doing a lot of that tactical kicking. And, and obviously the seniority and maturity from him helped lift all the other players and, and allow them to focus on their tasks. Mm. No, agreed. And Hegarty, although he's maybe a little bit more vanilla in terms of his attacking play, um, you know, I was keen to see Lucas get a bit more time at 10, but you can see why they've gone back to Hegarty. He really does control things and I think he inspires confidence with some of the younger guys around him. Yeah, and we had Michael Checker watching on in this game. Um, probably, I don't know whether he was looking at the comparison between Karevi Kurandrani as a possible 13 or whether he's just looking to see whether Karevi is a competent enough 12 but I think we've already said Karevi really showed in this game even putting in some kicks a bit more of a playmaker role you definitely say advantage Karevi if it's for the 13 spot but potentially for the 12 spot I think yeah, I think, think both I think he's a form yeah. player at both positions in, he, in the centres definitely worth considering at both and and i I'm less and less inclined to keep Beal in that 12 channel, and if you need a 12, Karevi's your man. Meeks Meek, yeah. is putting up an admirable job, but uh, honestly, um, unless Carmichael Hunt slots in at the Waratahs and suddenly gets all the games there, I think Karevi's the obvious choice at 12. Yeah, could you see Karevi at 13 and Carmichael at 12 for the Wallabies? It's pretty abrasive as well. Uh, maybe in some of the lesser games. Like, I would have to see a lot more of them playing in those roles this Super Rugby season. But who knows? You know, you see a, a, a Fiji or one, is it, do we, do we have Namibia or something in our group? This We've got Georgia, Fiji, Georgia. and yeah, I'll have to check. Georgia is the one I was thinking of. So it's one, that's the yeah, sort of game of we can trial something like that. So, yeah. Or even the other way around. Like, uh, it could <clears> potentially work either way. So that's that's a bit of flexibility. I don't feel like you lose too much with those guys. Definitely an untested combination, though. You're probably not going to try it in the in the World Cup. Mm. But that's what the rugby championship surely is for—to try and work out these combinations. Uh, let's yeah. let's keep moving though, and we'll go to some of the other New Zealand games. We had the Blues taking on the Highlanders on Friday night and taking the win, uh, thirty-three to twenty-six, and showing that the Highlanders continue to struggle to win when they're not home. But the Blues—this is their first win against a New Zealand team in two years. Yeah, since 2016, right, Arch? It's um, I can't believe it's been that long. When I heard them say that in the telecast, I thought that can't be right. But the, the Blues have been pretty terrible for a while now. But yeah, they're, they're really starting to, to string some games together. That's two wins, I think, in a row. Um, and you have guys like Rico Iwani really firing. He scored how many? Six tries in two games or something, the last two games? Yeah. So yeah, like impressive by the Blues, um, but... You're right, Arch. I think the Highlanders have been off their game, and it might actually stem from the fact that they've they're still not quite settled on their playmaker. I think Marty Banks is a good option at ten. It's whether you go with some of the young and dynamic flair that Josh Uwani brings. 
Yeah. Um, but I think their back line, the centres as well, like there's been a fair bit of change throughout that, you know, the inside back. So I think they're still battling with that. Yeah, I agree with that. And the they've got some good guys coming through. Like I thought Party Party Parkinson had a really <laughs> strong game for the Highlanders. Like That's he was fair. disrupting malls. That, that Highlanders forward pack is, is probably a more consistent weapon for that team than their backs. Um, Tompkinson was impressive until he got injured and had to go off. Um, the, the Highlanders, they've still got the, the potential week in, week out to challenge every team. The Blues, the Blues, we saw it in, in parts, but I think they were probably a little bit lucky to get away with this one. I, I didn't feel like it was uh, a clear a clear dominant performance. People like Rico Ioane and Milani Nanai just, just blew the Highlanders away at a couple of different points and and just got the lead just out in front, just far enough. Yeah, you see mm. what Rico Iwani did to Wasaki Naholo and absolutely stood him up with a step and just burnt him on the outside with pace. So between Rico and Milani Nana, who's just become so much more prominent in the last... Well, this year, last year we'd see him and he'd do some great things, but he'd make a lot of mistakes. And this year he just seems to have rounded off his game a lot better. And that combination between those two... I think the Blues, similar to the Highlanders, still struggle a little bit with their playmaker. Uh, Plummer didn't play particularly well in this game. They seem to improve a lot with Terry Black coming on later in the game as well. And the other game out in New Zealand on Saturday, the Hurricanes taking on the Stormers. And this was a much closer one than I think most people expected. But the Hurricanes got there in the end, 34-28. to 28. But there were 10 changes to that Hurricanes side uh, from the weekend previous. Whereas the Stormers... Esben Elizabeth got ruled out late with concussion, and we saw Geordie Barrett at number twelve. And what do you guys think? What is Geordie Barrett's best position? Because he he played pretty well at twelve this weekend. I I disagree. I didn't think he was that great. Like he he's you know Bowden sets up and makes people look really good. I Geordie Geordie wasn't standout for me at twelve. He was serviceable. Lamapi clearly belongs in that position in that team. I'm happy with Geordie on the on the wing. I think they feel like they're um, like they need to have him in the side starting because you know he's, he has shown flashes, but he hasn't been consistent enough. And and their other team members, I think they play better as a unit. Geordie just kind of looks out of place to me, and I don't think his kicking really gives you that much that we should be trying to force him into this team. What wing would you replace him with though? Because you've got Ben Lamb who's doing quite a lot, and then you've got also. Like- Usso's out, isn't he? What about Wes Houston scoring two tries and stuff? Oh, yeah, Houston as well. Yeah, exactly. So I'd rather have Houston. Really? I'd rather have have Geordie. I think Houston's in form at the moment. It's probably hard to drop him, but I think Geordie's probably a better player. More strings to his bow, maybe. I think Geordie's best position is 15, but he's not going to be allowed to spend a significant amount of time there, I think, because Tia Tia's... Tia Tia's too good. He's been, he's been too great. good. Yeah. So there's... Yeah, so then you can say, well, Tia Tia's performing, Ben Lamb's performing, Houston's performing, you know, you want Lamarpi and Proctor in the centres. So then where does Jordy hit? Is he a utility back? Does he come on and... Because he can play pretty much any position in that back line. Does he just sit on the bench and come on where needed at the moment? I think he does. Yeah. That's exactly what I think he does. <laughs> So it's yeah, it's tough having that much talent for the Canes. It's um, yeah, they they still I think uh, they've got more potential to improve. I think they've still got more to give, and I think they're catching the Crusaders at the right time. 
I think it's going to be an epic clash coming up this weekend. Mm. Um, but the Stormers just, yeah, they don't they don't tour particularly well. None of these South African teams do. You're saying the Stormers don't tour that well, but they they had a chance to win this game. Like the Hurricanes looked like they were going to lose. I think the Stormers probably were the better game the team on the day. Mm. I agree. I I thought that their forwards had clear dominance. They were getting ruck scrums and mall dominance. Um, they they just made maybe characteristic but unfortunate errors at really critical times when they'd done all the hard work. They just needed to hold on to the ball and they started spilling it. And they started throwing passes to miss, you know, missing players. Uh, and they had a couple of times where they kicked out on the full. That sort of stuff just strips your momentum away and you've got to be more clinical than that. But beyond those errors, they were definitely in this match. And, and you know, 28 points in New Zealand, it's not to be... Not, not to be discarded. I don't know. I think resting TJ, resting Lamarpi, resting Dane Coles, I think that makes a significant difference still to this team. I think they're a good team still. I think it flatters the Stormers a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Play, the Stormers did play well. Yeah, um, they can only play the 15 guys opposite them on the day. And, and yeah, I think no, they were I very agree. close to beating this group. They, yeah. they might have had different tactics with those other guys in. They might have been you know, chasing a higher score from the Hurricanes, but on the day they, they were very much in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. We'll keep on moving because we've got a, still a fair bit to get to and we had the Sunwolves line playing in what appeared to be a completely empty stadium in Singapore uh, late on Saturday night and the Sunwolves put up a valiant effort as they always do, uh, but the Lions put too many points on in the end, winning this one 37-24. to I mean, some of the play here by the Lions, their backline play was pretty outstanding. Um, just yeah, deft little passes. I think Yanchis is playing a little bit better now and he's taking the ball to the line. But yeah, I, can, I mean, as a Sunwolves team that knows now their future is very uncertain, how can you feel good about yourself running out to an empty stadium in Singapore? You must just think, why are we playing here? Like well, when you get they, home fans in Tokyo. Yeah, they like sell out in Tokyo, but they've been forced to sort yeah. of play some games in Singapore because it's closer for South Africans. And then they mm. have to run out to an absolutely dead atmosphere. Well, that's right. You've, you've hit the nail on the head there. This game is being played in Singapore because they're facing a South African opposition and South Africa don't like to travel to Japan because it's more of a burden on them. Played into Lions' hands here and we, we spruiked it last week on the pod saying it's pretty much a neutral venue. Um, there was no atmosphere. The Lions were able to do enough. But, yeah, the, the Sun will still put in that effort. They they always bring the effort. It's just I don't think they have the players to, to beat teams like the Lions. What do you think of the Sun Wolves number eight? He's been pretty impressive this year. Uh, Raboni Warren Vosayaho. Yeah, is he... Where's he from? Is he... Well, he's actually um... Australian. <laughs> Is he? Yeah, he's an Australian player. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm thinking of someone else. He's leading He's leading the league in carries at the moment. Um, very up there in terms of tries scored and tackles as well. Seems like a bit of a workhorse. He's a big running number eight. Seems to enjoy playing that expansive game, being out in the wing. It's just amazing that this is another Australian prospect that's moved over to Japan, I think, in 2017 after playing in New South Wales. Um, he's in Shoot Shield. And is now playing in the Sunwolves. And, I mean, he scored two tries in this game, almost had a third, uh, only didn't because the Lions player Mahusa got yellow-carded for a deliberate knockdown and a penalty try. 
Ben Gunter as well is from Gunnedah in New South Wales. So you've got two guys in the back row there from Australia. Um, and of course obviously it's New South Wales. Kiwis as well. Yeah, mate, New South Wales, they'll lose talent where they can. They're terrible they're good at doing picking that. Picking talent, yeah. But yeah, I mean, no. hopefully these guys that still have a future in you know, professional rugby, I think it's still getting good exposure through these teams, even though they're not getting the crowds there in Singapore. And that's something which, if if nothing else, while while the atmosphere might be dead and and the you know the pride in the Sunwolves brand might be dwindling because they know it's a short lived thing, they're playing for their next job, which they know is within you know eighteen months they're going to have to be playing somewhere else if that's what they want to be doing. So uh, hopefully, whether as individuals or as a group, they'll they'll rise and, and keep playing strongly. I think they've definitely got the skills to still upset and, and challenge a lot of teams, but it's really a mental game for them now. Can they can they see the value in, in putting in these big performances? Mm. And if, if a few individuals with Australian backgrounds happen to perform well, well then hopefully our, our Australian super sides will be going and talking to them and inviting them back. Yeah, hopefully. Let's keep moving on. We have the Bulls and the Chiefs, and welcome back, Chiefs mm. Rugby. 56-12, to 12, 7 tries to 2. Taking down the Bulls. Leo, how are you feeling about your revelation a couple of weeks ago that the Bulls are your pick for the top of the conference? Oh, I think they're still the pick for the top of the South African conference, but I don't think anyone saw this coming. Although, although last week, I think we talked about the Chiefs being the sort of team that could randomly surprise and, and tour well. No one, no one talking about 56 points, but, but we did say, you know, that it's just this unpredictability, and it's what they did last year. They were... They were under pressure. They were down a few men through injury. They weren't uh, expected to perform that well. And they were right in about it. They, they found a way with who they had. And this is a sort of similar thing. They've come out and they've got McKenzie back at 15. Now all the word is McKenzie should stay at 15. And, and you know, the whole 10 experiment's going to disappear. We've been saying it for moments months. last year. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he had his moments at 10, but we never felt like he was a consistent enough distributor to, to play that role and you got so much more uh, value f- out of him when he gets the ball in open space with with players you know distant in front of him and a, and a couple of support runners so I think that proves this point mm. Dis- Disappointing for Debrezzini though um, subbed off in the 8th minute again for Marty McKenzie uh, another concussion for Debrezzini to deal with so he didn't really get his chance to make an impact here after being named at the starting team. Yeah, and yeah, how would you pretty... feel as him? I mean, coming out due to illness, the game before, I think, coming back into the starting side and then within 10 minutes, I mean, and the fact they put up 56 points, so then you think, oh, do I even get my place back now? Um, you know, hopefully he's all right and the concussion isn't too serious. But now, again, Marty McKenzie performing in this back line, so... In combination with his brother, they put on that many points. It's hard to see him coming out again. Um, even if they do ultimately prefer Debrecini, you'd have to think that on tour, Marty McKenzie now has the, the upper hand. Yeah, I think so. And, and yeah, disappointing for Debrecini opportunity there at the Chiefs. And it may still come. We'll wait and see. Chiefs obviously going continuing their tour. We're going to Argentina next to versus that Huggy team. Just before we go on to our picks for... The next round, um, I just wanted to go through. We had a couple of the Wallaby uh, legends picking their sort of Wallabies 15 based on this first week of the season. We had uh, Rod Kafer and George Gregan picking their teams. And I wanted to get your guys' sort of opinions on them. I'll, I'll run through just them quickly. 
But we had Cape having Slipper Fienger and Alan Alatoa with Rodder and Arnold in the second row, Luke Jones, Pocock and McCaffrey, and then Genia Tamua, uh, Karevi and Kurandrani in the centres and a back three of Haylet Petty, Falau and Maddox with Falau at fullback there. Whereas Gregan's gone Slipper, Fienger, Tupo, Simmons and Arnold in the row. Luke Jones again pops up, but Michael Hooper at seven, Pete Samu at eight, Genia with Quade Cooper at ten, uh, Tamua and Adam Ashley Cooper in the centres, Korobidi and Maddox on the wings, and Falau again at fullback. So Foley's been named in neither, and people like Matt Tamua popping up twice as well as Luke Jones. Yeah, I don't yeah, know about this. They're kidding themselves. <laughs> where, where are they pulling Tamua from? We're not. We haven't seen anything out of Tamua. Like. Presumably still playing Northern Hemisphere, but like, where's the combinations? Where's the value in bringing him in raw like last year? Like he didn't, he didn't do anything so impressive last year that he's now considered the incumbent. We we had a whole lot of different permutations through the international season last year. I, these guys, I don't know what they're, they're on. It's Tamua is not going to walk in and be our ten or twelve. And like Gregan picking Swoopy at thirteen. Like, has he been watching Super Rugby? I think Swoop has been playing okay, but he doesn't look like he's, one, in form, or two, threatening for that Wallabies 13 jersey. If anything, he could cover a wing position um, if we had some injuries there. But starting him at 13 over TK or Karevi just seemed crazy to me. Yeah, absolutely mental. Adam Ashley Cooper is a great player who has a wealth of experience and may not be playing at the peak of his powers right now. But the value you get from him is in and around the squad, maybe off the bench. He's obviously there if um, the guys who you're picking as your first line go down. But there's so much he can pass on as, you know, he's wrapping up his, his career in the next few years. He can be passing on so much of these young players. That's the value. I, I don't think anyone's seriously considering him as a starter unless we get a whole lot of injuries all of a sudden, in which case I'll be bloody glad to have him. But mm. not like yeah, Regan's, exactly. Regan's back line there is Tamura and Adam Ashley Cooper. So we're ignoring Kurandrani, Karevi, Hunt, <clears throat> Veal. Uh, I mean, I can keep going. Meeks, England, Hodge. England. Like, there's so many other players <laughs> that it's crazy. What about Maddox being named on the wing for both of them? I can well, see that. Yeah, I think it's fair enough, particularly if you're going to play Cooper. I think their combination's really strong. Mm. Um, yeah, I agree. And Max got a lot of pace. I think sometimes he, he gets caught out of position defensively, um, but you can't really fault him under the high ball. He's got a good boot on him. He's Hands, quick. Diving catches for tries. He's... The try he scored against the Sharks was, was pretty dynamic coming through the yeah. centre there, so he can pop up you know, all across the field. Yeah, I think we've got plenty of good guys to choose from in that back line. It's just, I think the centres is, fly half in the centres at the moment is probably the most difficult equation. And it's probably more just deciding yeah. how you want to play, whether you stay with this dual playmaker selection or you need to conform to what the rest of World Rugby is doing and putting a bigger body in at 12 that can potentially still hand off balls if needed and put your more sort of dynamic player at 13. I just think the biggest issue is if you play Flout 15 and you play two bigger ball-carrying centres like Karevi and Kurandrani, that places a, a whole lot of pressure on the playmaker. Mm. And if it's someone like Foley who stays there, I don't know if he can run a back line all by himself. Whereas if you shift full out of the wing, 
you know, Bill or someone more of a playmaker at 15 that can come in as a second playmaker and, and really assist with that. Um, similar to what McKenzie does for the Chiefs now. Um, I think that, that could actually work. I think that's a really good point. I think you, if you do go Karevi, Kurandrani in the centres, which is one, one you know, reasonable combination, your fullback does need to be a bit more ball player. And, and that's a Beal. I don't, I don't know if you consider DHP an elite ball player. He's, he's probably somewhere between okay. Falau and Beal. He's yeah. okay. Maddox, Maddox probably has more potential, to be honest. Yeah. But but that is definitely a consideration. That's how you get around the 10-12 dual playmaker is your 15 needs to inject. You get a Ben Smith-type character in there who knows how to distribute, makes good decisions, run, runs a, a, a support line with the ball, so he's opening up the space for the wingers. Yeah, similar to yeah. what people like Willie LaRue did for the Springboks last year and just becoming that ultimate force coming on and just really leading them around almost. And we should probably quickly talk forwards. To leave Rodder out, I think he's crazy. So, Greg and what are you talking about? Um, my take on Hooper is I wouldn't have made him my captain, so I would have had Pocock at seven. But again, Jones, Hooper, and Samu as as a back three in Gregan's side. Uh, you know, what, what? Where's your Where's your really big solid ball carrier? You've only got one guy who's particularly helpful at lineouts. How is he picking Samu at number eight? Yeah, can't, yeah, can't. Samu's not even starting at the moment. He's right. not even. McCaffrey he started on the weekend. He was getting smashed back by the Reds. He he was carrying the ball and getting absolutely hammered, making no meters. Um, and yeah, he hasn't been barely be getting game time for the Brumbies. And someone like Nisarani, surely. Yeah, um, someone like McCaffrey, obviously. Yeah. How can you pick Samu over McCaffrey? That's just yeah. It's pretty mental. The least controversial is probably their front rows. I think Slipper is making a case, although he's not getting the start in every game, which is going to make it difficult. I think Falau Fainga is the clear inform hooker. His, his line-out throwing has come together much better this year, and obviously he's dominating off the back of the mall. He's, he's playing that role really well. Uh, Fala, Alan Alatoa and Tupu, and then you've, of course, got Kepu as well as your, your third option. It's, it's going to be one of those three, so uh, no one's really... Put head and shoulders above the other two at the moment. Mm. That 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 front rows that they're the least um, they're the least exciting picks, like the least debatable. I, I think they're yeah. We, we could do a range of things at the front row, and, and to be honest, I'd be prioritising combinations. So that's a slipper Fainga Alatoa potentially, which is what Cave had. Fair enough. I mean, it's it's six weeks into the season, so we've got a fair while to wait before we see these guys put on the Wallaby jerseys. But interesting to see where where we think things are going compared to these experts and former Wallabies putting up some confusing names at times. But Ludicrous. Ludicrous. <laughs> but let's get into the next round of Super Rugby. And it kicks off Hurricanes versus Crusaders on Friday night out of Wellington. And the Hurricanes have not lost at home to the Crusaders since 2012. Toby, I did not know that. Well, I was picking the Hurricanes, and now that you tell me that, I'm even more confident. I think if the Hurricanes bring out their full-strength team against a Crusaders team that's actually had to deal with a lot, um, and I think playing away from home, I'm not, I'm not saying it would be easier for them if they were at home. It may actually be more difficult. So playing in the Cape Tien... Um, I'm sure they'll be fired up. I think they'll bring a much improved performance to, compared to what they were like against the Tars. Um, obviously, I think Morong will come back in. But I think the Hurricanes, based on form, 
based on the way that this back line operates, I think that they can get the upper hand over the Crusaders, and I think they'll continue that, that winning record since 2012. I don't think the Crusaders lose two in a row. I think they'll find a way to win this. They might be simplifying their game and, and, and a bit of a suffocating effort on the Hurricanes. I'm, I'm going to stick with Crusaders. They have both named their lineup, so they're both putting up pretty full-strength teams. Uh, the only person the Hurricanes envy left out is Dan Coles with Ricky Catelli in there. But um, they have Ardi Sevilla, TJ Perinara, Bowden's there with Lamarpi and Proctor in the centres. Jordy Barrett is on the wing. Uh, did place out Wes Hooson um, with Chase TT in the back there. But So that's a pretty strong lineup for the Canes. And the Crusaders welcome back Kieran Reid in this one. They've got a pretty full strength. Maybe their props aren't quite full strength. They have Michael Alatoa and Allen in the props. Um, and But they do have Scott Barrett and Whitelock in the second row with Kieran Reid coming in with Matt Todden at seven as well, and a pretty full-strength back line as well. So definitely full-strength teams coming up, but I'm going to go with the history. I think I think the Canes can get on top there. Next, we'll go into the Waratahs and Sunwolves, and it's the country round for the Waratahs, and they're, they're headed up to Newcastle, McDonald Jones Stadium, and that's going to be on Friday at 7.45 p.m. And I think the Waratahs have got this, being a home game. The Sunwolves, they, they almost shocked them in Tokyo, in round two, uh, the Waratahs won't let this slip. They're starting to find their attacking chops. Uh, the forward pack, we, we want to see a nice, consistent performance from them. A lot of, uh, you know, let's let's cut out the turnovers at the rucks. Let's just feed good ball to the backs, and I want to see them go five-plus phases, you know, 30% of the time, give these all these backs an opportunity to fire. You brought in so much talent and you're not actually getting the ball out to all of them often enough in a game, you're not capitalising on that value. And in this game, we've got the lineups as well. We will see Bernard Foley rested and Matt Mason come in to start. Uh, we also see Jed Holloway slipping out with Ned Hannigan going into the second row. Lockie Swinton getting his first start at six, and Michael Wells popping in there at eight with Dempsey rested as well. But otherwise, we see Carmichael Hunt getting the start at 13, and I've got to agree with you, Lee. I think the Tars will be able to continue on with that form they showed last Saturday. Did you realise these teams' average points that they score is 77 in each game? That's combined. Not one team is averaging 77 points. So they're high-scoring games. Yeah, so... Yeah, I hope it's a high-scoring game again, but now that they're resting Foley, we called for this. I think Mac Mason needs some time at 10. Um, Foley needs a rest. Uh, it's the perfect game to do it. I think the Waratahs will still have enough in this one. You want to see a good performance by the Sunwolves. I want it to be competitive, but I think the Tars will, will put on probably, yeah, still 30, 40 points. Hopefully their blue wall defense can hold up, though, and they can limit the, the Sunwolves. Yeah, that'll be the main game plan, I think, to shut down the Sunwolves. And, yeah, hold on to the ball, starve them of the possession. Next game will be Saturday afternoon, and the Blues host the Stormers. Second game on their uh, tour, and the Stormers... Say goodbye to one of their good back row players, Peter Stetitoides, heading back to, to his wife in South Africa because she's imminently about to go into labour, apparently. So congratulations to him first off. But I think the Blues will be able to capitalise on what they've been doing last week and hopefully they'll make that switch to a Terry Black uh, at 10 and I think that'll help give them a bit more structure. But you just got to give them some space and allow people like Nanai and Rico Iwani give them some space out wide and they'll make things happen. Yeah, agreed. The, the Blues really are in form at the moment, I think, particularly in the backs. They're really electric. I, I think the Blues, I'm, I'm tipping them, but not by much. 
I think if the Stormers came out with a game plan to to close up Rico Iwani and and got and Milani Nanai, uh, if they if they contain those two guys, depending on who else they pick, I don't think Nonu's looked particularly dominant so far. So really, those two are the are the points of their attack. They contain that, and and the Blues only need to have a slightly soft game with a few turnovers. I can see the Stormers keeping this very close and maybe even stealing a win. Although, with Peter Steph to toy out, I think that's a pretty major loss. He and Khaleesi are just so big for that team. So, Blues, but not by much. Mm. Next, probably a really good game, and that's a Saturday night at Suncorp. And they welcome back, or maybe not welcome back, Quade Cooper coming back as the Reds host the Rebels. One thing we didn't mention before was the Reds, um, and that's Angus Handsome Scott Young. Um, cited for a punch to James Slipper in the last round. Still waiting to hear what the result of that tribunal is, but seems unlikely he's going to be available for this game. Really disappointing incident. Like, it, it's possible he's going to run the line that it was a bit of an accidental, loose, sort of reckless move, but it's a closed fist. is striking toward the back of a player's head. Like, that's just so dangerous. Um, to be honest, I think he should get rubbed out for a fair few weeks to make the point that's just unacceptable. He's not the one that's going to make the difference, though. As as much as my heart would love to tip the Reds and see them continue to find some form, I think the Rebels in this group are, are probably, even after a tour, are probably ready and raring to go and have the class over the Reds. Tell you what's even, even more maybe disappointing in this. Um, you'd think, oh, that's all right. They lose Angus Scott Young. They've got plenty of back rowers. I mean, they had didn't even play Caleb Timu last weekend, but unfortunately, Caleb Timu was also cited in club rugby last weekend for hit, um, throwing a punch as well, and their tribunal won't be held until next Monday. So he is banned from playing in any game. So there'll be short two of those. So it'll be interesting to see who they bring into that number six position. Look, I think it'll be quite a simple rotation for them. We'll bring in Hawkins into the second round and move Salakai Loto to six, I'd say. Um, mm. And that allows you to keep Higginbotham at eight and Liam Wright at seven. I think that's a pretty strong forward pack overall in combination with the front row there. So interesting to see how Genia and Quaid perform coming back from South Africa against the Reds back at their, their old home there um, at Suncorp. I think it's going to be a really intense, fierce battle. I think both these teams will be really up for this game, similar to how the, the Reds were up for the Brumbies game. Um, I think it was a tough one to tip. I actually was tempted to take the Reds. Um, but I think the, the overall class of the Rebels should be still too much for them. I think if the Reds perform like they did against the Brumbies, they'll in, be in with a shot. But still, I'm, I'm backing the some of the veterans in that Rebels team to, to take hold of this game and and really, really put it to, to the Reds, who are a team that are you know super abrasive. Um, but I still think that they lack a little bit of polish there. Yeah, I think... I think Dave Wessels will have targeted this game and maybe that is why he rested some people last week um, so they could come in really fresh for this. Uh, will be interesting to see their sort of back three lineup with Dana Hallett Petty out. You'd suspect that Maddox potentially will um, remain at fullback with maybe Corabedi and Hodge maybe staying on the wing or English staying on the wing and one of those two going into 13 because the, the combination with Meeks and English has been really good for them. Uh, earlier in this, yeah. so you'd hope they'd go back to that combination. Yeah, I think they will. I think they'll bring English back to 13 for sure. But yeah, I think it's a strong Rebels backline, as we've seen. I think that's really potent still, even if even though they're missing DHP. Hmm. 
Next game we have is Sharks-Bulls and two teams that have previously already played with the Bulls taking a big win over the Sharks last time when they burst in Pretoria. This one's down in Durban, um, kicking off just after midnight Sunday morning. I'm tipping the Bulls in this one. I think they're definitely going to be the ones to top the South African Conference. I'm sticking with that. I'm backing my first instinct. Uh, the Sharks were all right against the Rebels. I, I still don't think they're a, a polished team. I think the Bulls have more chance of putting in a good 80-minute performance, even not at home. And they'll know the importance of these derby games in their conference. That They'll live for this game. They won't let the random Chiefs' performance last week unsettle them. They'll, they'll come in and they'll beat the Sharks. I'm, I'm sticking with the home team in this one, personally, just because from what I saw with the Sharks last week, they're actually defense has been the best in Super Rugby. They're only conceding less than two tries a game uh, so far, and they're not giving away many penalties either. So I think if they can maintain that discipline, starve Andre Pollard for those chances to take those penalties in the games, I think they can probably get this one at home. I think the hometown advantage can't be underestimated. Yeah, I agree, Arch, and I honestly have no idea with this game. I could pick either team because I feel like the South African conference is just so hard to to get a handle on at the moment. Um, I think the Bulls probably, I don't know, they just seem like they do have that enough quality to beat a, a slightly erratic Sharks team for mine still. But like you say, playing at home, Arch, I think the Sharks could easily take this as well. So I'm going to stick with the Bulls. If they let me down this week, I'll probably be shy to pick them again. But... I think with Andre Pollard directing them around. Yeah, with Vermeulen as well, I think. though Even those two guys and some of the, the quick guys they have out wide, Jesse Creel, for example, I think the Bulls can actually still dominate these teams. And, um, yeah, I'm going to take them. Interesting. And the final game of the round, Haguaro is coming off their bye and the Chiefs heading over to South America. Um, Hags versus the Chiefs. And... Another difficult one to pick if the Haguaros managed to name some of their strongest lineups at home. They've shown how good they are. But then this Chiefs just seem like they're really firing and they're going to get boosted. Anton Lennart Brown is going to be coming back into that team and you suspect they're going to maintain that similar structure, which seems to be working for them. I've got to take the team on the rise and that's the Chiefs. Yeah, give me the Chiefs too. Um, I think they'll be... They'll get a real kick out of that performance. Scoring 50 points on any team is, you know, obviously a good performance, a good feat, but doing it away from home in South Africa, I think that's just what they needed. Um, Haguarez having the week off, don't know if that's going to do them any good. I think the Chiefs will come in hot, and I think, yeah, um, Leonard Brown coming back to massive for them. Um, so I'm taking the Chiefs. I'm going to counter that. I'm going to go Haguarez at home. I think with a week off, they'll be fresh. They'll have seen this Chiefs performance. They'll they'll address uh, what what they need to with McKenzie probably playing 15. Uh, again, you, you shut him down and you, you've taken their most potent weapon out of the game. Uh, I think they proved themselves at home. They're a strong force, a strong lineup. We'll, we'll get them across the line. And that concludes the tipping for the round. Uh, just in other news, we've had the Super W, the final round of the Super W out. Uh, New South Wales took on the Rebels and Bit of a better showing from the Rebels, but still dominance from the Tars, winning this one 66-12. And that's earned them uh, top-of-the-table finish and the home ground final. Uh, the Brumbies took one in, over the Western Australian in Perth, which was a close one, 12 points to 17. Only five points in the second half, and that was to Western Australia trying to come back. 
But that's the season done for Western Australia. While the Brumbies get to keep things going and they get to go into this third versus second playoff to see who gets into the grand final. And that takes them up to Queensland to play uh, the Reds at Ballymore. And that'll see who we get to, to face off versus the Tars in Sydney after that. And it'd be good to see uh, a strong performance from one of these two teams. I know Queensland was there last year, but both teams have had their opportunities this year, have shown some promise. And, you know, we don't want New South Wales women to run away with things again. We want a good good competition. So mm. hopefully trying lots of things, lots of lots of ball playing rugby, not just a grind and, and may the better team win. Definitely. Stanford for the Brumbies has been a standout. They're number eight. Um, so look for her to stand up and see what the Brumbies can do. But even with a bit of this travel in the last couple of weeks for them, I think it's going to be tough for the Brumbies to go back and try and take one over the Reds in this. And the other thing that we'll just mention, we're halfway through the Major League Rugby season and currently we have the table that has the New Orleans gold on the top. But Rugby United New York, one of the expansion teams from this year, uh, is coming up close and they've only both got loss, one loss in this season. So impressive throwing from them. And by, have sense, the Toronto Arrows as well, the newer team, uh, is really showing a bit of guts in this. But Interesting to see how these keep going. New York, the Seawolves and the Gold seem to be the teams in this hunt this year. Um, we'll see who manages to, to get it going in the second half of this season. Nola Gold, baby. <laughs> Nola Gold. I can't pick a team. I was on the Seawolves. I was on the Seawolves. Then I was tempted by Rugby United New York. Um, but yeah, I've got to, I've got to pick and, and stick with that. I've got to pick a team and, and get behind them. Yeah, I like Rugby United New York. I like uh, some of the stuff they've been doing. I've seen a few highlights from them. Seems like it's becoming more and more prominent in, in the US, these, these comps. And so it's just good to see, good to keep up with what, what Major League Rugby seems to be doing. Yeah, I think, yeah, get on it now because in years to come, it's going to be featuring even more pro- prominently. And um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of money flowing through that system and much more expansion, I'd say. Yeah, and whether we'll see them join into a Asia-Pacific tournament in the future, we'll still have to see, but uh, I think we're heading in the right direction in terms of that. But that's all from us this week. Thank you for tuning in again. Um, as always, you can catch up with all the latest news, all the lineups, following us on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod or on Instagram and Facebook at The Running Rugby Podcast. I think in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll look to see what you people, what the fans uh, want in terms of a Wallabies lineup. We'll see what put some polls out and see what you guys think is the best options for Checker to make for his 15. Um, But that's all from us this week. Remember to subscribe, listen in on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you all next week. Keep on running. Run. Strong. Um... <laughs> Burn the whole podcast. It's over. Burn it down, Tunnel. You should carry on.